Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined by Dan Schriever. Dan, what's going on, my friend? I'm doing great, David. Excited to be here with you at the dawn of a brand new era of pioneer and modern. Yeah, big announcements today in the world of magic. After they were pretty stringent in their declaration, there would be like a once a year <laughs> Band announcement, they abandoned that. I don't even think we made it a year, right? We're like nine months in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long did that last? How long did we predict that would last? Like uh, most Magic players uh, vows to uh, get physically fit <laughs> in 2023, <laughs> we did not make it to uh, December 31st before we broke our <laughs> promise. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yes. So big BNR today, Monday, December 4th. We're going to dig into what the bands were, what the on-bands were, and what it all means. And then we got some new brews coming up. We had a card picked out for this episode. It's Inti, the Seneschal, Seneschal, Senesk. I don't even know. How do you say Inti. that word? Inti. <laughs> An interesting card. Inti, who happens to just be perfect with Smuggler's Copter, one of the cards that was on band today. So... It's all coming together. It's like we planned this BNR. Yes. Uh, before we get too deep into that, though, we need to give a shout out to our newest patrons. We want to give a big Faithless Brewing welcome to Eric P. and Zach. Welcome aboard to both of those gentlemen. Yes. Thank you very, very much for your support and welcome to the Faithless family. A quick reminder that if you enjoy the program and would like to show us some support, the best way to do that is by heading over to patreon.com slash faithless brewing. That's where you can sign up. You can make a pledge at any tier you like. That can be a dollar a week. Gets you access to our amazing Discord community where we have a lot of smugglers copter partisans, I have to say. <laughs> so if you're here for the smugglers copter, which I assume that's why you're here, listen to this episode and then come hop on the Discord because the brewers are flying. It's a spirit of rejoicing. Can we say Christmas? Christmas has come early or holidays, the holiday season. The holidays, yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. exactly. Religio neutral take on that. All faiths have come together to release Smuggler's Copter through our collective prayers and manifesting. Okay, David, news of the day. Be in our update. What do you got? Yeah, so they kind of tipped their hand. I don't know if it was Thursday or Friday. The way they described the format, um, it was pretty clear that Karn and Geological Praiser were going to get banned because they described like not wanting to lose on turn three and not being able to find whatever cyborg card you wanted. So if you understand anything about the format, uh, you kind of knew that those two cards were for sure gone. And they kind of also inkled that Fury would be banned. So the only surprises, I guess, uh, in the Karn is banned in Pioneer, Geological Praiser is banned in Pioneer, Smuggler's Copter is unbanned in Pioneer, Fury is banned in Modern, Up the Beanstalk is banned in Modern, is that Up the Beanstalk was the second ban in Modern? Nothing was unbanned, and Smuggler's Copter was unbanned, although I think everyone was kind of guessing on that, because it's the only sort of fairish card in the unbanned list. Everything else is sort of part of a combo, um, or is like grossly overpowered so i i think the like honestly luris is a, is a totally safe on ban as well but the, the discussion on pioneers is limited to people who can barely speak so they have no understanding of what's going on uh up the beanstalk is actually like a stunning ban to me I, I was really surprised to see that that was banned so yeah uh a big change in both the formats um yeah kind of a brand new world in both <laughs> 
<laughs> you have to come back to that Lura's comment when we get to the pioneer section. I cannot believe my ears. You're saying you want Lura's to come off the ban list. I'm not saying I wanted to come off the ban list. Like, I don't know what the criteria are, but like Geological Appraiser was not in a tier one deck, although their their statement about why it was banned, that makes sense. Karn is not in a tier one deck. So we just, we banned cards from decks that were very unlikely to top eight, the uh, RC that's coming up. And we did it right before the RC. So if you have been working for hours and hours to make a deck or buy cards for that, your all your work is lost. And your deck that's probably really good against Geological Appraiser in theory, probably not very good anymore. <laughs> it's, it's built to fight a card and, and deck that might not exist. Hey, if you want to win the RC, that means you're a magic professional and you got to handle it like a professional. Just you got to roll with the punches. Got to be on your toes, nimble on your feet, anticipating these changes. I do not subscribe to that argument and I noted that in their explanation of the new and more frequent BNR cadence that they're saying, okay, they'll, they'll pay a little bit of attention to like when tournaments are happening, but that's not even going to be the deciding factor. Right now that they're saying that you do admit, though, that as you're preparing for the RC, the only statement you had from them is that we're only going to ban once a year. and We've passed that time. You agree that that was the thing that they had told us light on your feet like a card playing yeah. professional. <laughs> I think technically they'd already walked that back. They already said that was just for standard and said that for the <laughs> for the older formats, they're free to do as they as they need to do. But. Credit to the team for being a little bit more transparent, both with the video. They went into like quite a bit of detail on their thought process and just like even acknowledging some of their mistakes. Like I think Blake said at one point in the video that the, the previous ban from the previous set, he just blew it. He just scheduled it wrong. They didn't have enough data and uh, you shouldn't have essentially rolled out that BNR. So at least they're admitting that and we're at least hearing more directly from the people who have now said they're going to be managing Pioneer much more closely now, David. How do you feel about that? Um, I mean, again, we don't have any criteria, so we can't know if it'll be bad or good. They did not ban either of these cards because they're indexed that are dominant in the format. So if there's an arbitrary sense of if a card is fun or not, then it will get banned. So I don't know who gets to decide what's fun or is not fun. Like, you think Fable should be banned. You don't think it's a fun card to play against. So... I mean, you seem like a pretty smart guy. I think we should just ban Fable. Well, I don't have enough followers who feel the same way, so there's no... You don't have to listen to me. Well, we have two <laughs> new ones. I think Zach and... Uh, <laughs> Eric P. need to get on board. Uh, we would like to hear from both of those individuals. Should Fable be banned in Pioneer? Let's start a little discussion board. I have not been calling for Fable's ban recently, but... Yeah, who knows? Maybe I should. <laughs> yeah, again, when there's arbitrary criteria, we can't know if the next ban is going to be bad or good. So they might be making very good decisions. They might be making very bad decisions. They won't be making decisions based on how good a deck is. Um, and so it's it's very difficult to be predictive in that sense. But like you say, you got to be light on your feet. So I think for the RC people that just copy and paste, the actual two best decks in the format will do very well, which is Red Black Sacrifice and Phoenix. So, uh, you know, I, I think we'll have to maybe see cards banned out of that next. We'll have to see what the various people that seem to have opinions that matter in Pioneer decide. Like, I'm really excited to see when the next ban, like when, when do we have the Treasure Cruise should be banned conversation. <laughs> like all the people that want a Karn banned. Okay, Karn's banned. You've been complaining about it forever. Like, what's the next card? Because these people are, you can't ever satisfy them with a, with a single ban. It's like, well, 
Now, a new card is slightly annoying to me when I play against it. I hear what you're saying. I feel like you're reacting to the Pioneer announcements. And the counter-arguments would be like, well, look what they did in Modern. In Modern, they said, you know, there's two problematic decks that are winning too much that are overrepresented, and they share one card. So that's what we're going to do. We just go for the two best decks. Now, you're saying in Pioneer, they left the two best decks totally untouched, which is also true. <laughs> that's a little bit surprising. So Modern, I don't know if it was like a philosophical difference or if it was just like there was less they could even do. Yeah, and so that's the, that's the thing. To your point, exactly. It, it's it's a it's an expressed philosophical difference between the two things. They reference win rates. They reference top eight rates um, in modern, and you know then they made a decision based on that. And then in pioneer, they were just like, well, none of these decks is actually that good. But like, obviously, yes, their their argument about geological appraiser was actually accurate. You can die after only taking two turns if you don't have the right interaction. So it is like. If you want to use the word toxic, that's fine. Uh, but then, you know, Karn, Mono Green wasn't good even before the new set came out. And then it got worse. You can't even play Mono Green anymore in, an, in a geological appraiser format. So, like, Mono Green's terrible. Um, and, and, you know, if you wanted to actually ban a card out of there, you should, you should be banning Nykthos. That's the even more embarrassing thing. Like, if <laughs> Nykthos is <laughs> the one card that actually breaks the rules of magic. Uh, so, yeah, it, the, very interesting. So, it'd be interesting to see. I, I actually have a lot of respect for Andrew Brown. Um, he actually, like, you can tell he's played Pioneer. The only person, obviously, based on the discussion that I saw that actually has like, <laughs> played a game of Pioneer. And he, he knows a lot about it. So as long as he's making the decisions, I can, I can live with them even if I don't agree with them. That's kind of my take. Okay. Let's go in card by card. We'll start with Geological Appraiser because I think that's the one that somehow we can all agree on. Um, I mean, this happens so fast, right? <laughs> In some sense, because the deck, uh, I don't know, was it ever actually tuned? Like, do you feel like the deck ever achieved final form? Or was it banned so quickly that there was really no point trying to, like, find the best version of it? No, I, I think people thought that they'd be able to play into this RC with the deck. So I think that there is a, I don't want to say standard deck, and I don't want to say it's been too fully tuned, because you never know what could improve it. But I felt like there was basically 75 that people agreed on, which was like a two torrential gear hulk um like nine ish cards that quote unquote cycle to make a treasure um two cavern of souls you know the four three mana clones the four ees the four appraisers the four um seven six uh dinosaurs mm -hmm. i think that's the whole day and then, then like some minor amount of permission and seemingly though that is the um one of those split cards that gives plus three, minus three, they normally play like two to three of those. And then there's a blue-black card, but one half of it is one blue bounce target non-land permanent. Yeah, consigned to oblivion. Yeah, there you go. Bedeck Bedazzle. I think those are the Yeah, so I think cards. it was like three Bedeck Bedazzles, two consigned to oblivion, two Torrential Gearhulk, and then all those other cards. Like, I've seen that list basically played against me. Obviously, I don't see their entire deck, but I've seen a lot of their decks, and it seems like that was almost the, the locked like 60. So things move very quickly. Like while we were still gradually wending our, our set reviews and first brews episodes through the editing pipeline, which is my fault because I was a little bit backed up these past couple of weeks. Meanwhile, geological appraiser and Quintorius were just facing off the first challenge finals of the weekend because people were like, not sure yet if they actually had to respect this. I think the combo was 
known, right? And you even talked about it in our first Bruce episode. Like it's a what if, and it turns out, yeah, what if you do it? And it turns out it's it just wins. Now the next weekend after that, none of those decks top aided, right? Right. The metagame quickly adapted and just smacked them down because it's very, very easy to interact with this. Yes. But they were very correct in their ban announcement. It does limit the amount of decks you can play. So there are a bunch of decks mm. that I had built that I could not play because specifically Fatal Push, if you can't turn it on, is not a good card against them. Mm. So it's one of the few decks where that's true. A creature deck that Fatal Push has to actually be turned on. So like, I'm not saying Geological Prizer should not have been banned. That's probably a good ban. It was cool that it made cards we thought were good in the format actually bad. Shielder is a bad card. Fable of the Mirror Breaker was a bad card. You can't tap out on turn three for Fable anymore. Um, it made red interaction much better, especially red interaction that can also hit Planeswalkers. It can kill Quintorius or the 3-2. Um, so yeah, it, it was interesting in that way. You know, like, and, and again, I, I think Matt Sperling is pointing this out. When you have degenerate formats, it actually makes mulliganing a very important skill. Now, again, all these things are not, whatever they like to say, replayable and fun and all that stuff. Uh, you know, you want to be able to play a lot more of the new cards than you were able to. Um, but it, it was at least interesting. I don't think it was an obvious ban. I don't, I don't know that it actually had to be banned, but I understand, per their argument, I understand where they're coming from. Yeah, I guess there was a, a brief period of time where Torch the Tower was the best removal spell in the format. So it hit both of the Discover decks, it hit Phoenix. And then maybe get lost would be the other second best <laughs> removal spell. And then bitter, what's that bitter one called? The new one, the one on a black yeah, that, discard. Uh, yeah, discard or pay three life. Bitter triumph is it? That's it. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that this ban is like banning the Tibbles trickery deck? Where yes, that is a per- perfect analogy. Uh, a, a deck that you know, if we got the win rates, I guarantee it's under fifty percent. I I mm. honestly haven't lost to it I'm in like my last fifteen games. I'm fifteen and zero against it, and it's actually propped up a bunch of terrible brews I've been making <laughs> because you just run into it one or two times a league, and if you're just playing any kind of a tempo deck, you can't lose. So it's like your deck good or bad. Well, you beat a Praiser twice, and then you lost to like Phoenix, the actual best deck in the format, which is really hard to beat. Mm-hmm. In red blue, <laughs> if you're not actually playing Phoenix yourself, so it it did create uh, very polarized matchups, which is something I complain about. So, to be fair to the decision, but yeah, I think your your analogy is perfect there, Dan. They're taking money out of your pocket with this ban here, David. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they're forcing me to be a lot more disciplined. It's very easy to build a deck that can beat the appraiser deck. Um, mm. Like if you just resolve a one drop and then have interaction for the rest of the game, you just win on turn five every time. So Appraiser is gone. Quintorius survives. The exact quote is, we'll keep an eye on Quintorius. It can win as early as turn four. But this extra turn allows opponents to set up their own game plan and prepare for the pivotal turn more successfully. So we'll say Quintorius is on the watch list. They don't talk about the dinosaur itself um, because I haven't really thought that far ahead. Well, you're not going to ban a six drop. That's, That's ridiculous. Okay. I will say this. I will say this. Geological Appraiser was 0% to top 8 in ERC, but because no one's going to respect Quintorius, it's actually going to do better than Appraiser would have, ironically. Mm. Even though, like, they made the deck worse, but no one was, you know, it's like if you cut the best card from Dredge, so everyone takes, the, like, uh, rest in peace or two out of their sideboard, and then, like, the Dredge Master, <laughs> like, still plays the slightly neutered version of Dredge, and it's like, oh, man, this is still actually too good, like... 
the normal creature removal is not good against Quintorius. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just... I actually think there's going to be a good finish from somebody playing a Quintorius version of this shell. So anecdotally, I've heard that Quintorius is actually kind of an enjoyable deck to play against and that the games go back and forth for a while and, you know, you can't just defeat them with one removal spell because they have interaction as well. Has that been your experience? What do you think of the Quintorius deck? Um, the Quintorius deck is way slower, so um, I, I I don't know that it's enjoyable. You know, I always find these decks stressful because it is just resolve one card and win. Mm. Um, they do have more interaction, so it is more back and forth, but um, their combos is you know significantly slower. Um, they're softer to land hate. You know, not ever get not ever getting the free wins because it'll happen sometimes. You keep a reasonable hand. The appraiser deck just kills you on their turn three. You've only had two turns. And then after board, you win effortlessly. They never get that free win on in game one. Like you get a whole extra turn or more to interact with them. So mm-hmm. you get extra time to find a thought seize or whatever else. And then the sideboard games, you're still heavily favored because they, they're just so locked in on the combo. Yeah, they can whatever cast <laughs> various six mana spells. But, you know, they, they being more interactive means they play like two or three more interactive cards. Makes sense. Okay, last question about the appraiser ban. Do you feel like this means that Discover was a mistake or that specifically attaching it to the ETB was a mistake? Should somebody be axed for this over an R&D dungeon? Well, it's funny. Like, So the appraiser deck wouldn't even work if they just put the same condition on the dinosaur. Obviously, they wanted the dinosaur to be a reanimation target, etc., etc. So... No, they should not be designing standard cards to worry about all the interactions that could happen in Pioneer. I don't think it was obvious that the appraiser deck was going to be a thing. You know, even when we were talking about it, I wasn't even imagining the the appraiser thing. And even when it became a thing, it actually still wasn't good. So in general, I think a cascade-like mechanic is stupid. (laughs) But I don't think this is broken. And it certainly isn't as stupid as the modern decks that just keep getting to play it. Like rhinos and living end are just, it's just ridiculous like that these decks exist so the appraiser itself has the clause when it enters the battlefield if you cast it discover three yeah they were conscious of it yeah i don't think like but you know it's a it's a wild series of cards right so you saw me playing way too many clones in my first shell i did find i believe i was the first person to find the the ways to ramp to quintorius but people were like level 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 there's no Quintorius in the version of the deck that's getting banned, right? They're they're not even doing that. And Eldritch Evolution is the card, which I never even considered. Like, that's what makes the deck. Hmm. So do you feel like the Glasspool Mimics matter at all or not really? Like that interaction? Yeah. You need the the three-mana clone and you you need a bunch of lands in your deck because when your appraiser dies, you have to get all the way to six to try again with your dinosaur. Like the fact that you can appraiser into a glass pool mimic and still get the trigger. I'm not sure if that computed. Like it didn't compute for me when we were looking at this card in the set review. And I think based on this templating, they they didn't really want that to happen either. But it just sort of snuck through. Um, I don't know. Maybe they knew. I mean, sometimes you make cards that are, you know, a little pushed. In general, I don't like the mechanic. I don't like Cascade. I don't, I don't like Discover. Yeah. But it's not a mistake because there's like a corner case where you can make a deck with a 40% win rate. True. Like, I don't think Tybalt's Trickery is a mistake either. It's a cool design. It just 
Yeah. With all the cards that exist, yes, yeah, someone can make a deck that wins 30% of the time every time. Like, that's okay. You can ban it or not. That's your call. Okay, next up, Karn the Great Creator. I'm going to just quote the first sentence here. Even though the metagame share and win rate of Monogreen Nykthos decks have been within a reasonable range, the deck has simply been a large component of the Pioneer metagame for most of the format's lifetime. So that's it. I mean, that that's Karn's crime. He's not really winning, but Monogreen has just been around for too long. <laughs> and they go on to explain how, you know, they just read what Karn can do, makes it hard to go over the top of Monogreen. I think in the in the video they said, you know, people are sick of Mono Green having cyborg answers in game one. I'm like, is that is that what we're sick of? Is that really what what, what people are upset about? Also, the cyborg answers in game one are only good against degenerate decks, right? Yeah, you can get a free graveyard hate piece against uh, a Grease Fang or Phoenix or something. It's like that sounds pretty good to me. I don't. We just need Grease Fang to have no counters made deck. I just it's just crazy. But they point out some things that are true statements about Mono Green. They say that it's hard for other mid-range, fair mid-range, we should say, to keep up with Mono Green. Um, the combo with Pestilent Cauldron and the Cyborg is a little bit frustrating. And that Karn Static just suppresses artifact strategies, which I think we know very well, but who knows what's possible with Karn gone from the format. So they conclude by saying, it is clear that uh, the deck has had a warping effect on the metagame for too long. Now, here they're saying the deck. So Mono Green has had a warping effect for too long. And like you're saying, David, maybe that means Nykthos needs to go. But no, no, they're saying it's Karn. Karn is going to go. Yeah, I mean, I, I just don't agree uh, with almost any of their statements. Oh, what artifact deck are they talking about? <laughs> what artifact cards are they talking about? Well, it's keeping a spread of interesting cards from being played, such as Smuggler's Copter. <laughs> right, yeah, it's definitely been keeping Smuggler's Copter from being played. Um, not, not the fact that it was banned. They've really struggled what to do with Mono Green. They banned Oath of Nyssa and unbanned it. They banned the Ley Line. Mm -hmm. um, there was like a green-blue list that played like Oko for a while, and then they didn't want to ban Oko, so I think they banned the Ley Line out of that card, that deck first. Um... So, yeah, what what is acceptable or not? Like, the best cards in green, you have to get through a lot of them before you get to Karn. So, they don't want to, let's face it, they don't want to ban Nykthos because a bunch of streamers think Nykthos is quote-unquote an interesting card to build other um, devotion-style decks around. That That's just not correct. And Nykthos decks in general are just stupid. They're like, just feast or famine. You have no way to select for the Nykthos. It's just like, do you get lucky or not? That's obviously the card that should be banned if you want to make Mono Green weaker. If you also wanted to ban Karn, that's fine too. But Karn doesn't show up in any other decks, and without a shit ton of mana, Karn just draws a card. It's a four mana Planeswalker that draws a card. Or kill pluses to kill a treasure, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so immediate winners and losers from the Karn ban. We could say that Grease Fang loses one of its... I don't know if we say Predator, but... An important counterplay was the fact that Karn Static turns off vehicles. So, do we think Grease Fang gets better? Uh, I guess similarly, any of the decks with Cat Oven or Blood uh, or Treasures, which is some of the Rakdos decks. But yeah, I mean, Red, Red Black Sacrifice is you know probably the second best deck in the format. Um, its big benefit was uh, Praiser getting banned because its main deck interaction doesn't line up as well with that. And yeah, Karn is Karn is going to turn off the oven, so I think Red Black gets a big bonus. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know if Grease Fang is good or not. I think Grease Fang is bad in, in when Phoenix is so good because killing Grease Fang is just one red mana. They've got eight cards that do it, at least, main deck. And probably more after sideboard if they want. So, I, I mean, card doesn't change anything. Even like the mid-range deck, Red Black has a winning record against Mono Green. That is the mid-range deck in the format. We agree, right? Red, red Black mid-range. Mm-hmm. With the soon-to-be-banned Fable. So, it's just better than Mono Green. It just beats it. We we've got a ton of data that says it's got a better a better record against it. I, I just they just make a statement that's just wrong. Mid range decks can't compete against it except for the primary mid range deck in the format, which has a winning record against it. So they just I mean I don't want to call it a lie, but it's a factually incorrect statement. It's like saying I'm ten feet tall. It's like well, it's like it's kind of a harmless lie, but it's just not it's not accurate. I'm not I'm not a ten foot tall person. <laughs> You're an intellectual giant, David. Yes. So yeah, they, they banned Karn for no reason other than people don't like playing against Karn. And maybe that's enough. Maybe that's just enough. People don't like playing against Karn. But those people are always going to have another card. And so the people that were calling for the Karn ban are immediately going to call for another ban quite quickly, I predict, after the RC. Is it Fable? Is it Treasure Cruise? Is it Smuggler's Copter? Maybe Smuggler's Copter will be too good? Like you were saying, the two best decks are not mono green, right? I guess you would say Phoenix and probably rectos if we wanted to affect those decks what would you even do <laughs> not treasure cruise but someone was saying maybe veil of summer should come off off the ban list what do you think about that uh it's it's not terrible i instead of doing that i'd maybe just ban thoughtsies oh gosh that's a big change yeah if you like got a couple glasses of wine in me i would have <laughs> left all these cards in and i would talk about banning mana elf and thoughtsies as the cards what? that are actually the gating effects in the format Oh my gosh. Okay. Like those are the actual best cards. I don't know why we can't talk about banning the best cards. It's just crazy. We banned like the fourth best card in mono green <laughs> and a <laughs> card from a deck that doesn't have a winning record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kiora was sweating it there. It's like, we don't know it's who like... it's going to be. Someone's taking the fall. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely all planeswalker. We can't be a Nick those for God's sake. Like one of the weird things, this is just a, a theory for people to disregard. When they print Mono Elf into Standard, they're really, really careful about their three drops that they print that have like mm-hmm. a lot of green pips. So you're always like, the, the they printed Mana Elf into Standard and it wasn't dominant. You're going like Mana Elf into Corsair Crufix or whatever. But then when they don't have a turn one Mana Elf in the format, which is normal, they've got a lot of two mana ramp effects. Then they print very powerful green, green, green pips. So they've got the four or five... Uh, Hydra, they've got the 4-4 Troll, etc. So Pioneer just combines the fact that they're very smart about their design. Like, that's why these standards have been actually interesting for mono green decks, because they don't put those together. Pioneer just, like, combines them both, and the green, green, green pip is a huge benefit because of Nykthos. So it's like a weird, like, perversion of their excellent standard design for mono green decks by combining... They're not each a mistake, but they are a mistake together. So there's no reason to have these like crazy gated rampant growth effects. You can't even like rampant growth for a mountain or something. But turn one mana elf is okay. And it's even better than normal because a green, green, green uh, turn two makes your Nykthos, you know, tap for four mana or five mana on turn three. Like that's the curve that actually matters. Turn one mana elf into turn two green, green, green pip that's resistant to removal in the case of the troll into Nykthos taps for an extra mana at least. 
don't even get me started on Omenhawker into Nykthos. <laughs> yeah, taps right. for three. <laughs> taps for three with a Nykthos. Gets your Gadwick of the Wizard into play. <laughs> okay, so last question about Karn. David, you're playing in the RC and you got your heart is set on mono green. And since you're not a pro, you're not nimble and on your feet. Yeah, you right. just got to re- replace the Karn with something. What are you thinking? You thinking Pelucranos? You thinking Yurta the Turtle? Without the ability to actually go over the top, I th- think you maybe need to rethink the entire deck to have some kind of infinite combo. I don't, I don't know what your options are. Mm. I would maybe not even play Storm the Festival. Explain that to me. Strong the Festival like sets up these turns where you like hit the five, six guy, it finds the Nykthos and something else, and then next turn you can basically always win. But you can't really do that anymore without Karn to like first of all, you can't ever kill a creature in mono green. So Karn at least gave you like a ways to kill a few troublesome permanents. You can't interact with Phoenix at all. Um I mean the deck is is probably like total garbage now. I, I don't I don't know what else you can play. You're also like super susceptible to sweepers probably. Uh because you you can't invest some of your mana into planeswalkers. Mm. Like maybe mono green beatdown. I mean I'd never I'd never play mono green with Karn because it was so bad. Uh taking away one of the one of the cards out of the deck. And then again, yeah, Karn makes you not play a cyborg. Mono Green doesn't really have good cyborg cards, so it's not like you get to play like a lot of heavy hitters. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I I don't know what I would play. I'd have to spend a lot more time thinking about it. I'm looking at the other options now, so it sounds like you're saying a Planeswalker makes the most sense, gives you the most, the right number of rules. Maybe Vivian, Vivian Four, the one that's in the more aggressive version from Eras Past, the Arc Bow Ranger. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the reason that they banned Karn, right? It did give you at least a chance against unfair decks. Yeah. Like, you just literally won't ever be able to beat Greasefang. Right, right. So, I mean, can, I, there's, like, there just isn't a mono green deck anymore, probably. Although, maybe that's fine. I mean, I never liked these decks that are like, oh, we've got Karn, we're just not going to build a sideboard. I hate that. I feel like that was... Just I'm not here to defend so. Karn. Uh, if people listen to this podcast, I don't build Karn decks. I don't like Karn. I don't like the design on any of these Planeswalkers with the static ability. But don't say Karn was too good. And don't say Karn was unfun. Just say you couldn't be Karn because you chose not to make the right calls. <laughs> like, this is a you problem. I've been okay. smoking Karn with garbage deck after garbage deck for however long this format's existed. So it can be done. Don't say it can't be done. You've chosen not to do it. That's fine. Okay, now on to the good stuff. They were hinting at unbans, and they they finally did it. They freed our boy. They freed Smuggler's Copter. Just a little blurb here. They didn't really say much. They said, we banned Smuggler's Copter in December 2019. Yep, that was was so long ago that you can't even find the article anymore. The website has deleted that. It's been swallowed. But the context was, this was during Pioneer's, uh, what do they call that? Like the fresh, the Wild West period, where every tournament would result in a ban. I think he was banned at the same time as Field of the Dead. Does that sound right? I believe it was banned before that. I think Field of Dead and Uro were banned in the same in the same banning, but I, I don't remember. I, I honestly don't remember. I know it was banned before Oko. Yes. <laughs> I remember I could play Oko and not Smuggler's Copter. It was just like, 
fine. Because <laughs> it was in mono black aggro, which is a deck that has not existed. And we've joked about Curious. every set there's another like pretty powerful two drop that mono black can play. It's like, ooh, is mono black going to come back? No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> this probably won't do it either. <laughs> so they say many new sets have entered the format since 2019. The format has naturally grown in power. We believe the format can absorb it successfully. Reintroducing Copter will create new deck building puzzles or revive old ones and provide additional diversity. And that's interesting because one of the original arguments against Copter was that it's, it suppresses diversity by being clearly better than all of the two drops, that all aggro decks will play it. And, you know, that, that's why we can't have uh, fun helicopter toys. Yeah, so a few things have changed. One, the uh, removal's gotten a lot better. Um, so almost every color can handle Copter for one mana now, including uh, Mono White getting to play a Portable Hole. Mm. And then Karn existed this whole time, so Copter could have been unbanned when Karn was around, because again, it would just stop it by itself. But okay, fine, Karn has to be banned. People are, can't beat a four-mana Planeswalker that draws a card. Absolutely unbeatable. Um, the other thing that happened is there aren't really any aggressive decks in Pioneer. Mm. There is Greasefang. There is Phoenix, which is more of like a pseudo-combo aggro deck. Red-Black is very mid-range. Um, or, or maybe it isn't because it beats Mono Green, so it can't be a mid-range deck. <laughs> mono Green is somehow called a mid-range deck, but again, it's more like a combo mid-range deck. I don't know what you want to call it, a ramp deck. Uh, you know, we can bandy about what the words are. Mono White is an aggro deck. And that's about it. And then there's like some variants of red, but they don't really exist like they do in almost every other format. So Copter does beef up an archetype that basically doesn't exist. You don't play a lot of cards in your sideboard to stop aggro decks. That's not like a thing you think about. There's no life gains uh, effect in any sideboard. There have been some interesting people playing like um, scissors variants. There's been some people playing like O'Hare type of decks. So at least there's a little bit of the beginnings of like one drop, two drop aggressive strategies. Will Copter go in them or not? I don't know. But like, it is true that there basically isn't an aggro deck in the format except for Mono White. And Mono White probably can't play Copter because the Thali is the best card in their deck in like a huge swath of matchups. So it actually will create new archetypes. Like the, the, their statement is correct. It'll, it will buff a bunch of decks that basically I don't see play now. And it won't actually really add to a lot of existing archetypes. Like Phoenix is not going to play Copter, for instance. So I'm not expecting a mono black resurgence, but what about like mono red? That that seems like one of the decks that throughout the last couple of years, it's been a contender. And the two drops always seemed a little bit iffy to me. You can't find a two drop that has more than two power in that deck. And they always reach that point of the game where they're just out of gas and just trying to top deck two damage at a time. Copter seems like it could really help that strategy. Yeah, definitely. Um, again, the, the deck doesn't really exist, so it's hard to say, you know, what does it go in over? I mean, there's no there's no deck to, to think about putting it in. It won't go in an O'Hare deck, um, O'Hare Accidental, because that deck it really needs to maximize the amount of, you know, non-combat uh, damage sources to to turn on your god but i think it will allow other decks to at least consider this card and they printed a lot better two drops that's the other thing right like when we're going to talk about nt today 
Blood Tithe Harvester. I mean, there there are like two mana, three power creatures with upside in almost every color now. Um, and they basically just didn't exist anymore. And that was the problem back then is they wouldn't print aggressive cards. And then in every standard, they're like, oh, I can't believe this like mid-range deck keeps going over the top of our aggro decks. It's like, <laughs> you have to print better two drops, man. I, you know, Copter was so much better than every other option. So for those who have not played with or against the Copter, because it's, it's been banned for so long, do you think of this as just an aggressive card? Or I've, I've heard the comparison to Reckoner Bank Buster thrown around. Saying, oh, well, you know, any deck with the Bank Buster should consider the Copter. I don't think that's quite the right way to think about it, even no, though they, not, they look not, similar. No, but Not close. Those have nothing to do with each other. First of all, one of the points that Law 11, one of the great brewers in the format has made, is that because of Bank Buster, you should be always playing creatures with three power. Copter allows you to break one of his rules mm. and play a lot of one power creatures with synergy effects. We even have a card in Epicure that sort of duplicates it. It's a one power creature. Mm. Now it has more power in the late game because it can crew up Copter, and they both put cards from your hand into your graveyard. It keeps a high density flow if you want to play Inti, that there's a lot of discard effects lying around, etc., etc. So... Copter does lots of different things. It doesn't provide its own body, so you actually need a ton of creatures in your deck. It loots through your deck. Do you want to use looting as just a way to, you know, discard your Thoughtseize versus your push? It was the first sort of Fable-like effect that was quote-unquote drawing cards by getting rid of cards that weren't needed. Do you want to play, like, Madness effects or Graveyard cards? Do you want to play Delve spells with it? It can do a lot more. I, I think it has to be an aggressive shell, though. Um, you know, there was even that, like, blue-white tempo deck and again it played like four thraben inspector it played uh four reflector mage you need a lot of creatures in your deck to make sure that you can always crew up your copter so decks that play bank buster you don't need any creatures bank buster is just a card value engine for a lot of the game right you, you can play i've done this played four bank buster you know four omen hawker four of the jewel and then four like shark typhoon and you can Crew it with your shark typhoon if you want, or eventually you're just going to make your own body. They don't they don't have similar roles at all, I don't think. Copter does not actually put you up cards unless you're doing something special with the, the discard as well. Yeah, that's a great point. I also just find that your crew one is just such a huge difference. Like there's almost no comparison there. Exactly like you were saying, finding three power creatures. That's a pretty narrow subset of creatures, but if you can just use any leftover one drop, uh, it's very, very easy to crew the copter. I was thinking of our Melkator decks, where Melkator is just like this crappy 1-1 leftover. Epicure is perfect. Someone in our Discord today was posting a slick little uh, Smuggler's Copter rabbit battery package where you can like crew up the copter with your rabbit battery and then give it haste um there's fun stuff you can do there's a lot of like leftover one ones that the copter makes real but i think david you're absolutely correct that you still need to like make sure you have critical mass and that most likely means you're going to be a deck attacking the life total as your primary axis yeah i mean looting like is nice you smooth your hand and all that stuff but it's not coincidental that as quote-unquote ubiquitous as Copter was, it really only saw play in that mono-black aggro deck. No other deck was playing it at the time. Um, but yeah, they, I mean, they printed a lot of cards that give you a body with one power. We're talking about Epicure and Thraven Inspector and the, the mm -hmm. Blue Pirate, right? So mm -hmm. you have multiple cards right there that do that. Um, the new Rat, 
Lord Skitter makes a one one every turn. Those rats mm. kind of suck. They can't block. That that's way better now, right? If you're if you want to make your mono black deck, um, mm. that's a great point. So it's 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 random effects like that. Um, a Nim Pakal. I've got a, I've got a deck proposed with. Is it her? It he? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> a Nim. <laughs> Uh, it just makes a bunch of one ones that aren't very good, right? So now all of a sudden, one of them gets to crew the uh, the copter. So it's, they they've really been generous, just throwing a bunch of random. Oh, this creature can't block Mirex. Yeah. So all that stuff goes up in value. The one one that um, the the bugbear makes, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. You're in control. Of the next pioneer BNR. Do you have anything coming off the unbanned list? I'd have to look at it. I mean, if we want to talk about fun, probably not, because I guess <laughs> people don't want to see it. I mean, of course, what I would do is I would ban the companion mechanic and then unban Luris. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, a, that's the thing that should be happening at any time is, or whatever, make companion 100 mana to put in your hand and then make all the companions legal. I'd like to see Walking Ballista given another chance. I feel like that was... Just like a vengeful ban. Like they were just mad at the community at that time. Which is kind of funny because now in like in this announcement and the previous ones, they've been very clear that, oh, for legacy players, for vintage players, for pauper, we care about community sentiment. If you guys say it's not fun, we hear you. But at the time, they just like took the hammer to all the pioneer combo decks at once. Kethis, Walking Ballista, Helium. Well, not all of them. Lotus Field, which is like somehow we can't ban that one, which is not susceptible to creature removal as the uh, the walking ballista one is. They tried. I mean, they took out Breach, so they didn't try that hard. <laughs> they took out Breach. <laughs> um, and Inverter, right? So they're like, oh, combos are dead. No more combos left in Pioneer. Yep. You're welcome. And that was like a bit harsh. I don't, I don't think people were seriously asking for Ballista to be banned. And that one hurts because it's such a unique effect. I, I would like to see that one given a chance personally yeah i mean i guess we just need all the uh toxic streamers uh who all they do is piss and moan about bands all the time to talk about unbanning walking ballista that's just good content david they're they're giving the people the content we need to get through these dark times (laughs) so yeah ban fable ban treasure cruise unban walking ballista perfect perfect format all right, let's shift over to modern briefly. We're not brewing as much in modern these days, but part of the reason for that is the preponderance of free spells. Now, Fury was signaled pretty hard. I think you had to be willfully misreading the video from last week to think that Fury was not getting banned. Um, it's played in the two decks they mentioned, Rakdos Scam and Four Color Omnath. Now, in their explanation for why it was banned, they're talking about creatures, like one toughness creatures specifically being brutally suppressed by Fury. And that's certainly true. Um, There's no way to come back from that. But at the same time, I mean, we were saying that for a long time. First, it was Ren and Six, then it was Lava Dart, Bowmasters doesn't help. It's not like a great time to be a one toughness creature in modern. It hasn't been for a long time. So I'm not sure that that's actually what, what's happening. I guess maybe the difference is, I don't know, how would you feel about playing a, a Merfolk deck or something or a Humans deck now with Fury not in the picture? Yeah, I mean, to your point, it's not just about one toughness creatures. It's like two toughness creatures and a three toughness creature and a one toughness creature or like killing mm-hmm. a lord and et cetera, et cetera. So 
you can at least try it now. I mean, that's the main thing I would say is it's at least not embarrassing for them to spend zero mana <laughs> on whatever turn of the game, effortlessly kill your creature if it's evoked, uh, you know, bring it back with a, a one mana effect and basically just undo all your mana and et cetera, et cetera. So they specifically address, well, what about Solitude, right? Solitude Ephemerate is also bad for creatures. Um, grief with Not Dead After All is also bad. What do they say? They say, okay, well, Solitude is not as threatening as the 4-4 double strike. So <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what, what to make of that, really. I'm just like, yeah, Solitude's fine. Creatures should be able to deal with that. At least Solitude gives you life, and it doesn't, like, X for 1 you. Hmm. True. Like, okay, they, they solitude and bring it back. They they exile all creature. They exile your mana elf. You just don't play a card next turn, you know, if, if it's going to be ephemerated or whatever. Like, you, you can at least play around that. True. And since we will not be talking about Fury much longer, I will just go on the record one more time and say, I told you all this card was going to be good. I told you it was going to be good. I told you to buy it. Well, buying it turned out to be a terrible decision. It's <laughs> true. I, worthless. <laughs> I paid $7 each for Fury, and that investment has not paid off. <laughs> it's, it's useless now. Well, free spells uh, continue to be a, a problem. Hopefully the next uh, free spells they print in uh, MH3 don't cause any issues. I'm, I'm sure they've solved it this time. My read on this is that they've already finalized the card list for MH3 and that it includes the elemental cycle. Like Fury is just going to be printed, you know, an old border or something in MH3. It would be surprising if they didn't do that. No, they're going to make new cards. They didn't reprint Force of Negation in MH2. Why would they reprint Solitude in MH3? The whole point to get you to buy the packs is that they are rotating the format again. Be that as it may, I expect to see the rest of the cycle in MH3. Not as like the highlights, but just like to get your value up there. And then they're going to like reprint them a bunch more times as supplemental products to squeeze out the last drops of their value before they ban the rest of the cycle. <laughs> so Bowmaster survives, Grief survives, the One Ring survives. Up the Beanstalk does not survive. And this is a bit surprising, like you're saying, um, Up the Beanstalk, and I'm quoting here, is one of Modern's newest inclusions. <laughs> subsidizing many cards in the format that cost five or more mana. However, it is rare for a player to pay anywhere close to five mana to cast the cards they are using with up the beanstalk. Okay, so like the mana system is actually a good thing, and maybe we should use the mana system to like manage the power level of our cards to make sure they're costed appropriately. But I think they're essentially saying with this band that, you know, that that ship is sailed, it's out of control. They've just gone too far down this rabbit hole or too far up this beanstalk with the cost reduction there's there's no way to put that back in the hat like leyline binding if you if you're not going to take out leyline binding it's just going to be a thing in the format forever because uh, of the triumphs and fetches and if they're not going to touch that and they're not going to touch the elementals they probably got more free spells coming in mh3 and and the way you balance a free spell right is you make that the one side is very expensive so when you get the powerful effect you just spend a lot of mana for it right like we don't yeah. want <laughs> the mana side of Fury to be cheaper, so it's bad beanstalk, but like a four mana three three that is a flame tongue combo is even, you know, better. So Yeah. So I don't know what to make of this. I mean, this is a realistic ban. Given what they're willing to do and not willing to do, I guess this is fine. Um 
might as well pull the plug on it quickly. I don't think anyone's enjoying Beanstalk anymore. Yeah, I mean, modern is not my format. So, uh, you know, hopefully the people that play it uh, enjoy it more now. But it's just kind of funny when you take the same card in Pioneer, it's like, not, not good at all, right? I mean, Beanstalk kind of is fun. an awesome. Beanstalk is an awesome design. It presents an interesting question: How many expensive cards can you play? And yada yada yada. In in modern, it does not ask an interesting question. So it says you're already playing solitude. That's cool. Now it draws a card. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Any final thoughts on the BNR? We'll have to see what uh, more surprises the next year holds. Uh, many of them wonderful, many of them terrible. Yeah, the, the next ban window, you'll be happy to know, is March 11th, 2024. Murderers at Karlov Manor. Will there be two sets between then and now? Or that's the next set comes out in like February and that's like five or six weeks after that set? I believe the latter, yes. I believe okay. So. All right. Looking ahead, let's let's brew some decks. So we have a whole slew of Inti decks plans. Some of them are now woefully obsolete because the format is just completely restarted. We can talk about Copter first. I mean, what do you want to do with Smuggler's Copter? I mean, I think the main use of Smuggler's Copter is going to be in a, uh, a Mardu Grease Bang list. <laughs> um, or maybe Satter Wayfinder finding its way into... Um, like the Abzan Grease Fang lists where you're, you're going to have to play a lot more creatures. Mm. So you like lose your nut draw. Like I don't think you'll play the black green instant look at your top five anymore. Oh, really? Well, I think that's if you want to play Smuggler's Copter in the Abzan list, I think you'd cut that card and maximize your creatures. Like Satter Wayfinder filling your graveyard is a body to crew the copter and it replaces itself. So you like the loot is a lot more valuable if you have enough cards in your hand. Mm-hmm. So like the Citrus Supplier version. Yeah, but like Citrus Supplier is just so bad, right? Like you have no way oh. to kill it ever. So all people do is just take one a turn. Well, now it, it, they're going to take three a turn now because you're crewing the copter with it. Yeah, it's it's a card that lets you like convince yourself you should be playing terrible cards like Citrus Supplier. Um, and maybe like a Citrus Supplier, Center Wayfinder. Um, obviously the white card, the two one that connives is better than both of those by a ton. You can still play that. Um, you know, you're trying to get a lot of deck velocity there. You can still play, um, you know, some number of chariots. The 2-2, the turn that comes into play, can crew the copter. <laughs> <laughs> What's not to like? I mean, maybe the Parhelion's the problem, right? Just play all fair. Well, you could just play some number of Parhelion. I mean, you just have this free looting effect in your deck. I mean, that's the point is nothing's going to get stuck in your hand if you're playing the two mana conniver and and um and that hmm. okay do you think that grease fang is actually moving up significantly in the power rankings or not really um i think it eventually will because this card is better than all the cards that it was playing before um there you do lose things when you go like super creature heavy but i you know i, I think there's real there's real advantage there um because like you say i think a lot of times grease fang ends up especially in post-board games, having to play the fair game. People are bringing in Leyline. People are bringing in, uh, you know, either the one black uh, instant that gives minus four, minus four to a white creature or the one red instant that's uncounterable that does four damage. And so instead of bringing effects like Silence and trying to play this very complicated game on a Razor's Edge, you just play Copter on two and, like, make them do something about it. 
Do you believe that any of the currently played removal needs to be changed now that Smuggler's Helper is in the format? I don't think so. I think Portable Hole is better. Uh, it's a card that you and I almost exclusively play. We don't see a lot of other people playing it. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, Red was already playing, you know, the Spell Mastery version does three damage a huge amount of the time, so that kills Copter. Fatal Push, without being triggered, kills Copter. Mm-hmm. Phoenix has a braid in the sideboard to hit sideboard graveyard hate pieces like Hearse. Okay, that also hits Copter. Um, I do like that this makes Go for the Throat worse. You know, I, I think that one of the problems in Standard is that they have this crazy black removal and they didn't print enough good artifact creatures. I think that they thought the prototype creatures would be better. So I like anything that makes a black decision on removal or two-man removal more interesting. I love that Copter dodges Go for the Throat and Shieldred's Edict. Hmm. Um, so it actually kind of puts them in a bind. They don't want to play that other card, uh, power word kill, but you see all the advantages right now. Now you're actually making interesting choices. So that's interesting to me. Okay. So that's how copter might impact existing decks. What about non-existent decks? Um, the long suppressed diversity of the format. (laughs) Well, I think people are going to try mono black aggro again, and I, I don't think they're wrong to at least try it. Like, okay, maybe it's not good, but like, show it to me. <laughs> Prove to me it's not good. You're, you're going to have to beat me, right? Um, when you look back at those lists, they're playing some pretty weak creatures. So we've got, we've had a lot of be- better creatures printed, but, um, you know, the removal is a lot better as well. So does dodge sweepers. You're a lot better against sweepers. Okay, so I'm looking at a sketch that you proposed here, and it's black and green. I see it has Bloodsoaks Champions, and that's making me think that they haven't really printed any better creatures, because that's one of the creatures that I always thought was super bad, like super weak in the old mono black decks. Same with Scrap Heap Scrounger. Yeah, I see you're still playing Bloodsoaks Champions, and the Scrap Heap Scroungers are gone, but they've been replaced with Tenacious Underdog, which is slightly better, we could say slightly so i'm not like super convinced that black has done that much better on the creature front but tell, tell us about what you're envisioning in this deck yeah so i'd mentioned during the spoiler season i was really interested in playing blossoming tortoise with corpses of the lost mm-hmm. the thought process being that blossoming tortoise automatically triggers descend so it's like not only are we getting a land we're also drawing effectively our corpses of the lost and as people might remember, Dan and I did a scouring of the Pioneer Legal cards for skeletons, and we came up a little dry. <laughs> we were yes. less than impressed by our options. So Mutavault is actually, I believe, the best skeleton, and Corpse to the Lost powering up Mutavault is actually very interesting. So if you just imagine a curve of Corpses to the Lost on three, attack them with a three-power skeleton. Blossoming Tortoise, attack them for three again, draw effectively the Corpses Lost to our hand, put a Mutavault into play, and then the next turn we recast Corpses Lost, we get another um, Skeleton, and then any Mutavaults that we have in play, we just get to activate for free. So we could, in theory, attack with two Mutavaults and two Corpses Lost tokens, right? So you, you just have this incredible like value engine chain. So... One of the questions I had in my original build was like, how am I going to trigger Corpses of the Lost if I don't kill, or if I don't uh, draw a Blossoming Tortoise, or, God forbid, they the end it, or whatever. 
<laughs> and I was really struggling with my options, like playing some cards that seemed pretty bad, you know, trying to find sort of organic ways that were on plan. And Smuggler's Copter does all that for you because it's on curve, turn two, turn three, play Corpses of the Lost, crew Smuggler's Copter, attack with it, loot away a Bloodsoaked Champion. So now your loot from your Copter is actually going up a full card every turn. And because you have this built-in uh, sort of value engine, if you want to think of it that way, it's actually also very good with Myco Tyrant, which starts out with a very puny body. But like you said, one power is actually all you need. So turn two, Smuggler's Copter. Turn three, Myco Tyrant, crew up Copter. Even if they kill Copter before it attacks, Myco Tyrant still sees that go to the graveyard. That's a descend no matter what. Um, and then, of course, if the next turn we play Tortoise with the Myco Tyrant in play, we're, we're threatening to take over the game. So. Yeah, the, the the curve of the whole deck got to go down. We got to play all these on-curve cards. We want to lock in bodies to make sure we always have creatures in play. So a card that is a little stickier, like Bloodsoak Champion, gets even a little better. Uh, so we can always turn on our copter. So yeah, that's what I'm thinking about for that. Well, if this makes the Corpses of the Lost deck a thing, but that's just like the greatest win ever for, for the Smuggler Copter unban. It still bothers me enormously that Gutter Bones comes into play tapped, and now we have two different cards that have anti-synergy with that, because if I can't even crew the copter with Gutter Bones, that sucks <laughs> so, so hard. <laughs> can we cut the Gutter Bones? Can we just play anything else? We can. I was looking at Black One Drops and was not enthused. Gutter Bones is nice on curve if you get to play a Carps as a lost. At least it gets to attack as a three-power creature. I'm open to any other one drop that costs a black. So you can name one if you like. Persistent Specimen, a 1-1 skeleton that okay. comes into play untapped, but you can return it from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped for the low price of three mana. All right, I'd like to change my statement from anything <laughs> to... <laughs> uh, gosh, it's, it's bad out here. Um, Stitcher Supplier? No. No. I mean, you could play like the, the, the Vampire. The one two that's three and a black to pump because in theory the blossoming tortoise is going to put a bunch of mana into play. Oh, the knight of the Evan legion. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, this these pickings are not good. Um, cauldron familiar is that like a thing with copter? I mean, it could be. I wouldn't red black could at least play like one of them just to see. Hmm. Okay. Well, we await the the next untapped skeleton the one drop to really make this deck hum i feel i'm gonna call it now corpses lost is seeding something there will be a reasonably good skeleton in the next set oh yeah okay did you just say it was some kind of like haunted thing what was it called murders at karlov manor okay i'm calling it good skeleton in there i think it's, it's kind of a clue themed set like a murder mystery all set inside of one house and now I'm wondering if like one of the characters, like Professor Plum, is actually a skeleton. That'd be pretty sweet. Colonel Mustard. Yeah, we need more skeleton characters in the lore. I'll just say that much. Yeah. All right, you have also updated your Red-Green Huntsman Redemption Blossoming Tortoise combo deck. I see you've put four copters into this as well. What's your thought process? So I was playing Oath of Nyssa and uh, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. And Smuggler's Copper is just better than both of those by a lot. So um, 
I was already wanting to cut the Fables because they were not on plan. They're super slow, which is not an aggressive card that doesn't block well. It doesn't attack well. It's just really good for turning, you know, lands into literally anything else. But we want the lands because we're going to put them in play and make them creatures. So Smuggler's Copter does all that. We have a bunch of cheap creatures lying around. It has an attack trigger, so it's kind of cool with like the Reckless Stormseeker. You can often like play a copter and give it haste. That turn, again, we have chariots. We've got a lot of bodies lying around. Uh, and then just the looting is very good with the tortoise. Putting a land into the graveyard is just another land that makes sure that tortoise hits. Uh, even with 24 lands, you're not always going to hit. So, And then again, you have, you have this Huntsman's Redemption thing. Like You can crew up the copter in your main phase before you have to sack a creature. So like you're not even losing power that turn. What's really striking to me is the mana curve of this deck, seeing it all laid out. Eight elves, four copters, and that's it, right? The idea being that you should probably be mulliganing to an elf. If they kill the elf, uh, how many consolation prize two drops are you going to play? Yeah, I played zero in my previous version. I played eight elves, three oaths, no two drops. And that worked out okay for you? Yeah. But yeah, I'm all against elves. And now mono green isn't as much of a thing, right? So people are going to start cutting removal. I know in my, a lot of my decks proposed, I'm not going to have to worry about killing elves as much. So copter is maybe just a more satisfying two drop play than say like a stomp or a heart's desire or anything like that or a scavenging ooze, whatever the, the previous two drops were that you would occasionally see in these decks. Yeah, I think most people were playing... Uh, Bone Crusher Giant and mm. the Lovestruck Beast. So, like you say, the the making mm. the one one or stomping. And yeah, th those are terrible cards. Like, come on, man, stomp. <laughs> well, the Harsh's Eye crews the Copter, so that's actually pretty good now. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Well, excited to see this deck. I mean, this deck felt like it was on the verge of being a five zero. It was, and so this is the kind of deck. Let's just give Wizards credit because I pissed and moaned a lot earlier. This is the kind of deck that the Appraiser deck shut out. I, I could not play it. I would have to play for Bone Crusher and a huge amount of main deck removal to be able to interact with that deck. Mm -hmm. um, because cards like the Acroan War, which I'm playing two of, right, they aren't any good. So it did change the suite of removal. You had you had to respect that deck because it had a faster clock than our tur turtle deck. So I, I have not played it since because the Appraiser deck you know, rendered it obsolete. So this is a deck we can try now. All right. Uh, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more from Smuggler's Copter soon. We can't stay away from this card. But uh, that's not the card we prepared for the day. The card we thought we were going to talk about is a different two-drop, although quite similar in what it brings to the table. So, David, let's talk about Inti, the Senesal of the Sun. Yeah, Inti, Human Knight, one in a red for a 2-2. Two, two. Whenever you attack, you may discard a card. When you do, put a plus one, plus one counter on target attacking creature. It gains trample until end of turn. Then separate line. Whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card until your next end step. So when we saw this card spoiled, we were a little worried that it would require Inti to attack. That, In fact, I think that's what you're saying. is like, well, it can't work on any attack. It's got to work on when Inti attacks. Mm -hmm. The translation we had turned out to be correct, though, which is very important. It makes Inti a much, much more powerful card. Um, and we've seen it do a lot of work already in Modern. We've seen it do a lot of work already in Pioneer. And both turning discards into value, granting trample is actually super important. Um, 
it kind of does a bunch of stuff on a bunch of different angles. I think you had proposed it in a deck, like a cycling deck. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tooled around a little bit with Rat on Arena with that, and Inti is pretty sweet there. Cycling on your opponent's turn means you have all of your next turn to uh, cast that card. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I have not tried that. Yeah, yet. it's really important. Like, uh, uh, when we get to one of the decks, I've I've already played versions of of one of the decks I'm proposing, and cycling sensor on their turn when they when they choose not to cast a spell is just incredible with Inti. Or if you have like Inti and <laughs> Rio in play, blue mana draw three, <laughs> uncounterable. So what's such a, a beautiful thing about Inti is that these two abilities are both like separately attractive and then they also interact in a sweet way. But the second ability, whenever you discard one or more cards, exile the top card of your library, you have until your next end step to play it. So that alone is like a smuggler's copter, right? Um, I mean, I guess when you remember that you get to discard when you attack. When you look at what Inti has done so far, I see some decks, granted this format is now obsolete, where it's not really synergizing with anything, it's just sort of there to loot and distribute some power. Because is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I, th- I think that's the primary way to use it. It's just a car that turns a car in your hand into one damage haste plus trample, for lack of a better word, that might replace itself. And how confident do you think you have to be that you're going to get to play the um, the card you draw or the card you exile? I mean, not confident at all. I've, I've just done it for the plus one, plus one multiple times. Like if you, I'll often like discard my third land if I hit a land, I play it. Otherwise, I just miss my land drop for the turn. Oh, really? I mean, this is an aggressive card. This is not a value card. You you are getting in there with Inti. Okay. Because impulse draw is terrible. In decks are trying to accrue value. You you have to play a deck with a ton of cheap effects, and you have to play a deck that's trying to attack every turn of the game. So, what do you make of turn one, one drop, turn two, Inti? You attack. Are you going to discard there or not? I mean, obviously it depends on the contents of my hand. If I am the beatdown and I have like an extra land in my hand, then yes. Really? Just, just for the plus one, plus one? Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I, well, I've done it many times. I mean, I've done it with my, um, well, we'll get to a pirate list I have, but yeah, okay. just like, just put the clock on them. So if, if I were interested in synergy, which let's be honest, I, I am. <laughs> you are. Yes. Yeah. That sounds like you. Uh, thinking about how inti relates to my other discard package right like does inti count as a full discard outlet um is it an enabler for that is it a payoff or is it too unreliable being a fragile creature oh i think it's pretty reliable i mean it's not the only one you want in your deck but you know you're going to be able to attack as as long as you, you have to also have creatures that can attack freely so that means your one drop has to have an evasion of some kind or death touch you know or something where where you're going to feel comfortable attacking like the turn into comes into play how do you feel about attacking with into into self yeah i love it i, I do it constantly <laughs> okay so you don't consider this undersized or anything and you're happy to put the counters on into well i mean it becomes a three three i think two two is undersized but because into gets to control where the counter goes you know if, if you have a one one fire and they've got a, a mono green Back when it was allowed to exist, had a 4-4 blocker. Okay, you just attack with a 1-1 flyer. But if they have a Bone Crusher Giant in play, I attack with both of my creatures and pump my Inti. And possibly draw a card in trade. So that's like a 2-for-1. Indeed. Yes. 
All right, on to some deck lists. We're going to start in Pioneer, where, David, you've got five, six NT deck lists. Yeah, so I have this first deck up. This is just my um, 5-0. Shatter Skull, Charger, um, Luminarch, Aspirant, Shell. And this is a deck that, in theory, cares about plus one, plus one counters. So, like, you could put Inties in here, because we didn't really like Baird. There were a couple other cards we didn't like. But there wasn't really enough synergy, I didn't think, for what I wanted to do. So then I proposed a list where we were trying to take a little bit more advantage of the discard. Well, then they unbanded Smuggler's Copter. So we're in the final form here, deck three, Copter <laughs> recommission. Because turn two Copter into turn two Inti, discard the only land in your hand, let's say, and just get two looks at finding another one is what you want to be doing. And pumping Copter is awesome. Dodges red removal, et cetera, et cetera. So this list is playing 8-1 uh, drops, 4 Warden of the Inner Sky, 4 Voldar and Epicure. Our 2 drops are 4 Luminarch Aspirant, 4 Inti, 4 Smuggler's Copter. And then our 3 drops are Animpical as a 4 of, Shatterskull Charger as a 4 of, and 2 Voldar and Thrillseeker. And then we have 4 Recommission. So, possible lines we can do. Turn one, kill a creature, play a one drop. Turn two, play Luminarch Aspirant. Turn three, play an Impacall or Shatter Skull Charger. It's an incredible clock. We put the plus one, plus one counter on an Impacall or Shatter Skull Charger. We are attacking way above curve. Alternatively, we can pump up our Smuggler's Copter with our Luminarch Aspirant or uh, in it, Seneschal of the Sun. We can pump up our um, Shatter Skull Charger with our Inti. We can Valdarn Thrillseeker pump up Inti, so now we can attack through whatever, right? We, Inti is now a five-power trampler uh, on turn two, That if you choose to discard. Um, we can recommission back on after any amount of discard on turn three and get back at an Impacall or a Shatterskull Charger. Valdarn Thrillseeker actually puts itself in the graveyard if we want to get it back. Um, so we could like play Valdarn Thrillseeker, pump up Inti, sack Thrillseeker, recommission it back, put another two counters on Inti, uh, you know, attack, discard again, etc., etc. I'm going to read a few of these cards. I think they're not yet household names. Animpakal, Thousandth Moon, one red, white, legendary human soldier, one, two. Whenever you attack with one or more non-gnome creatures, put a plus one, plus one counter on Animpakal. Then create X11 colorless gnome artifact creature tokens that are tapped and attacking, where X is the number of plus one plus one counters on an impacal. So just by itself, right, you play this on turn three, you attack, it becomes two, three, and it makes a gnome. But if you are going to be like feeding extra counters onto this, either from the Luminarch Aspirant or from the Inti or from the Recommission, or the Voldar and Thrillseeker. Or the Thrill Seeker, uh, you're going to get so many little gnomes. So many gnomes. So a very interesting card. And, you know, there's like a Boros aggro deck in Standard that people are playing. There's another, I guess we call it like a legendary Boros aggro that plays both Anim and Inti that's been making the rounds of Pioneer the last couple of weeks. Um, four copies of each. So this is a real thing, right? I think we said this in our spoiler analysis. This is just one of the more dangerous rebel masters out there scales very impressively 
we did not talk about Warden of the Inner Sky. I don't know. I just like I looked at it and I just wasn't impressed. But what have your experience been with this card, David? Yeah, this is a card that both of us dismissed, I would say. So this is a one white mana for a one two. Mm-hmm. You may tap three artifacts or creatures to give it a plus one, plus one counter and scry one. Only at sorcery speed. And only at sorcery speed, I thought, was like the death knell for this card. Instead, it's like, thank God it's at sorcery speed. It'd be impossible to attack into this card ever because after it gets three plus one, plus one counters, it gets vigilance and flying. Mm. This card has been very, very good against me uh, out of the um, Convoke deck, Red White Convoke. They're already playing Voldar and Epicure. They're already playing um, Thraben Inspector. So they get three bodies very easily onto the field on turn three. Um, also, like if they blow up an artifact, that's another. So like here, here's, a, here's an opening that's happened against me. Turn one, Warden of the Inner Sky. Turn two, Thraben Inspector. Tap the artifact, the Thraben Inspector, and the Warden of the Inner Sky. Put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Cast a red mana sorcery. Blow up your tapped clue token. Make three one ones. Tap those three clue tokens. Put another plus one, plus one on Warden of the Inner Sky. So next turn, even if you play a blocker, they can tap the three one ones, make Warden of the Inner Sky a four or five flying vigilant creature. Like, it just starts to outsize. Like you can't ever block it. It outsizes whatever whatever you care to put in its way. So you haven't drawn any convoke creatures, and you're still threatening a ton of damage. That does sound quite impressive. Uh, how much does the scry matter in those sequences? I think it matters a ton because fundamentally, this is one of my theories. Fundamentally, convoke is a combo deck. Like mm. people are taking out thoughtsies against the that deck because it's aggressive. It's like no, no. They only have like a few cards that matter. If you just thoughtsies the convoker then their, their hands tend to not do anything. They just play it, put a bunch of one ones into play. This just helps you find the next one, right? Like you're, you're scrying away the, the crappy one ones that don't do anything in the middle of the game. You're, you're scrying away the convoker. If you don't have any creatures in play. Yeah. So you're like, Oh man, they just keep drawing good cards. It's like, yeah, they're looking at like, (laughs) like brainstorming every turn. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So I guess that was just a miss. For me, then, because I miss Russ. Miss Russ. I had the exact. You and I had the exact same thought. If it was an instant speed, I was like, "Wow, this card would be kind of sweet," but it, it's it's really good. I I don't know if it's the best card in Convoke. I mean, it's still probably a Convoke creature or the thing that makes the three one ones, but it's it's a huge upgrade for the deck. That's that's what I can say. Now, the other card that you're you're building around in this brew is Recommission. Recommission is one in a white sorcery return target artifact or creature. With CMC three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, if a creature comes in like this, it gets an additional plus one, plus one counter. So we were going on about Helping Hand being a sweet white unearth effect, bringing something back tapped. You're willing to pay double, which is actually more than double in the economy of a magic game, just for this plus one, plus one counter. Yeah, the plus one, plus one counter has synergies with Shatter Skull Charger. Anympical, Voldaren Thrillseeker, Warden of the Inner Sky, and it can even bring back Smuggler's Copter. Mm. Uh, True. <laughs> without the counter, but still, it's it's Smuggler's Copter is another target. So the extra plus one plus one counter on Anympical means a lot. Like it's an extra one one that first turn, and then for the rest of the game, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like you know what I mean? Like you're getting two instead of one, and three instead of two, and Scales beautifully, yes. Yes. What I find so intriguing is that 
even in, in the pre-copter version of this, you manage to fit a bunch of discard outlets in the deck. So Inti is your discard outlet. Epicure is a discard outlet. I think your your pre-copter version had Rafine's Informant. Now we're just playing Copter instead. So you're you're an aggro deck that is actually drawing and discarding a fair number of cards. Quite a lot, we could say. And the graveyard payoffs are fairly limited. Like this recommission is the only card that I would describe as a graveyard-reliant card. And the rest of the stuff just stays dead. You know, you filter lands, you dig for your next action piece. Yeah, and, and I think that's kind of the way I want to approach a lot of these Inti decks. I don't want to think about having to put too many cards in. And to your point, all these cards are reasonably aggressive on their own. Like mm. Smoker's Copper is a deck you just play in an aggro deck. And that was the problem, I think, with the previous list because the Connive creature is not that good of an aggro creature. Um, but Smoker's Copper is just going to, you know, I'm going to play it on turn two over almost anything. And then Luminarch Aspirant, Crew Up Copter, Pump It, Discard, Inti, Crew Up Copter, Attack, Pump It, Discard, Discard again. You know, and and, and basically what you're trying to do is set up your next turn where you're going to get to like on four mana, like recommission plus Luminarch Aspirant. Like you're just going to have incredible turn threes and fours is the, is the thought process. All right. I'm excited for this. Uh, not sure if it's the true spiritual successor to the invasion of Gobicon 5.0. Well, it's not the, that, that deck was actually quite disruptive and that form, the format that used to be was a lot more combo ish. Yeah. So whether it's better or worse, I don't know, but I really want to recommission uh, a Nympha call, so <laughs> this is what we're doing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the the other thing that sucks is I think the um, I think the red enchantment is actually not that good with Smuggler's Copter. So the the previous version was trying to maximize ways to play our Shatter Skull Charger, so it was playing um, Kumano faces Kazakhan. Mm-hmm. but we want to play Copter on two because I think it is the best two drop. And so the Kazakhan is just like not very good, I don't think. Uh, yeah. So so it kind of pushes you in different directions. So I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I think if we want to explore Copter and Inti, we should not play uh, Kumano faces Kazakhan. Yeah, just looking at your, at your 5-0 list, so many of these creatures are actively tough with Copter. Like you don't want Thalios with Copter. You don't really want Phoenix Chicks. Uh, you don't want Kamono Faces Kakazan. Um, even Charger is not that good with Copter. So yeah, there's not that many creatures you want to create the Copter with in that disruption-heavy version. Yeah, and you know, that deck had Brutal Cathar. We don't really need Brutal Cathar anymore because there's not going to be big green creatures in our way because I don't think that deck's going to be very good. So Okay, next up. You had proposed in our last episode... Red Blue Pirates featuring Malcolm, the alluring scoundrel. In order to make use of Malcolm, which I think at the time you called the greatest two-mana looter ever. I'm not sure if you want to amend that statement now that Copter is back. Well, Copter's not a creature, but it's better than Malcolm. So, I, yeah, you, you honestly shouldn't play this deck anymore. You should play Copter uh, over Malcolm. So this deck's been, kind of been rendered obsolete, which is unfortunate because I played two leagues with it. So I'm dying to know how those leagues went. Uh, you sent me some sweet screenshots. Yeah, the deck plays awesome. I dominated uh, appraiser lists. I 2-0-4-0'd um, Doomwake. Just killed him on turn four or five every time with five cards left in my hand. <laughs> you can watch some great uh, video of him pissing and moaning about it. Felt felt awesome. Um, can't, can't ever beat Phoenix. Just... 
I, 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 th this is my first version. I played like three unlicensed hers, two, um, damping spheres. Just, you just can't beat them. You, you, it just, you're set up so poorly. So I think I'm like three, two, three, two, and I have lost to red, black, excuse yeah, red, black sacrifice or, or blue, red or blue, black Phoenix, uh, in each match. I beat everybody else very easily. Beat mono green effortlessly, of course. Is the reason why you can't beat Phoenix just because you just can't beat that much removal in card draw? And yes. Yep. Okay. So you have to bring in all this graveyard hate. It's also really, really, really hard for you to get through with red removal, the bird advisor. It starts as a one, three, it goes to two, four. You would like to cast two spells on your turn because your deck is so efficient. Like multiple times I would play like Inti. I could attack and cast Fiery Temper. Well, they're probably going to discard a non-creature spell, is my prediction, when I target their Bird Advisor with the uh, Fiery Temper. It's probably worth their time. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you probably have to play four Breaches because it gives your creatures unblockable. Um, mm. Breaches was, a, was an all-star, or absolute all-star. Like, flash in Malcolm, play Breaches, loot, get a treasure. Then the next turn, you're like, they can't block with anything, like, you don't even have to, like, I would cut all my cards that kill Shield Red. They can't block with Shield Red. Just roll through them. I killed, I killed Red Black midrange on turn four or five multiple times. Wow. The version I played had three NTs, uh, cut Rona. I went up to multiple Is It Charms again. I cut the combat researches here. But So basically the deck, just for people who can't see the screen, two Mox Amber, four Spyglass Siren, four Fiery Impulse. I think I, I started uh, replacing them with the... Um, the exile effect there two or three fiery tempers depending on the build four sensor four uh malcolm three inti two is it charm four real three breaches i think maybe i cut to one spell pierce put an extra is it charm or something again i was making i was making accessions towards you know what the format yeah. was moving towards the deck is so sweet like if you're playing someone who's like a little clunky, like red, black mid range in theory is mm -hmm. supposed to be good against this deck. I mean, I've just been destroying them. You're just miles ahead. I think I sent you a screenshot where I intentionally let them do, hit me with their graveyard trespasser so that they would play their um, bone crusher giant. And then I targeted their uh, <laughs> graveyard trespasser with a fiery impulse with an inti in play. So I got to discard my fiery temper, kill their bone crusher giant. And then inti gave me a, an impulse draw. Oh my gosh. It's like their card is supposed to be so good against you. Like, it doesn't even matter. It reduced a spell by two and gave me an extra draw. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so are you willing to play more Fiery Tempers? I mean, you're, you're on two Fiery Temper, two Inti. Yeah, I think I actually went up to three in the last league that I played. Three Fiery Temper, three Inti. I think I'd maybe cut a Riel and play the fourth Breaches, which is the most important card. The other thing you could do is rebuild the whole deck, not make it pirates base. So cut the four Malcolms, cut the three breaches, play four Riel, four Inti, four Smuggler's Copter. Then you could play the full four Fiery Temper. Um, and your only pirate would be the Spyglass Siren, but I think it's still worth it just as a car that crews. Um, or no, I'd, I'd actually play the Epicure then. I wouldn't play the, the um, Siren because you want the discard effect. And maybe that would be better. I mean, I've always felt like Riel was suspicious in these decks. Tap out for Riel and hope you can get a card off it later before it gets inevitably gobbled up by removal. But you've been playing four successfully and happily, so am I just wrong about this? I mean, do you just not want to play three drops? Like, 
Well, I want my three drops to have an ETB, I guess. And Riel kind of does, kind of doesn't. Well, Copter again makes her very interesting. Okay, I crew up Copter. Which one do you kill? Hmm. So Riel, assuming that I have one power on Riel, which is not guaranteed. <laughs> not guaranteed. Crew the Copter. And then assuming I get to attack with the Copter, I guess I would kill the Copter first before it gets to actually loot. If I have the capability of doing that and then try to solve real next turn. I don't know. Maybe you're right. I mean, the other thing is like real just makes you thoughtsies proof too. Like people thoughtsies you with real in play because they draw thoughtsies. Are they not going to cast it? I mean, <laughs> what do you yeah. do? It dodges push unless they trigger push. I guess the solution is to just be a Phoenix deck and just gobble up all your stuff. And yeah, there you <laughs> go. Draw three for my troubles. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I, I think Phoenix is insoluble. I, I mean, I'm willing to consider, like, some super radical builds where you have, like, four Narsets sideboarded. <laughs> I don't know. Multiple hearses. Like, you almost need to play black or white to have the kind of graveyard hate you need to beat Phoenix. So, hmm. The deck is super sweet. The deck is, is awesome. Inti is awesome. Cycling sensor on their end step with Inti and Riel in play is just the best feeling in the world. <laughs> Blue mana on counterable draw three. <laughs> Add a power to your Riel. <laughs> I shouldn't bash Riel. I mean, if we like Inti so much, why wouldn't we like Riel? Why not have it all? <laughs> okay, so the next deck here is playing another one drop that we also skipped over during our set review. We, we put notes on it in our written version, which our patrons get access to. But I think in the interest of time, we just didn't talk about this card. It's Bloodthorn Flail. Bloodthorn Flail. An equipment for a single black equipped creature gets plus two, plus one. The equip cost is either three generic mana or discard a card. So what's interesting about this card is this is a permanent access to a discard outlet. I guess it's kind of like a pioneer underworld cookbook. If you have a creature, like if you just need to be able to discard something, the flail lets you do it. But what do you actually get? So you get plus two plus one on a creature. Is that actually worth anything? I didn't really think that through, but I see that's a question you've been pondering. Yeah. So the one thing I really wanted to do with this card, I was, so I was trying to find free discard outlets for Inti. So this is one of them. Okay. And Inti grants trample. We just talked about that. So that's kind of interesting. Make a creature powerful. I started out with the uh, the red dude that equips for less, right? So you'd have the option to like equip for free with a discard or one mana. It, that oh didn't yeah. Make it. No. <laughs> well, here's why. Because I really I realized you had some pretty nutty draws. If one of the cards you discard is a Flamewake Phoenix, because if you play a one drop that has two power on one mana, so let's just say Flamebait Adept or Blood Soak Champion. You can name any of them. Turn two, you play Bloodthorn Flail. You equip it for free to your two power creature. You know, they played Man Elf. We discard Flame Wake Phoenix. Okay. And now we have a four power creature and our second mana lets us put the Flame Wake Phoenix into play for a mana. So on our turn two, we've added four mana haste for two mana and it has not cost us. I mean, we're not down a card. So do you think we're going to win that game? I mean, we don't have that much in play. Like the Flame Wake Phoenix is just a 2-2 that has to we attack. We have six power attacking on turn two. 
What the hell? <laughs> I yeah, hope I so. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, like, let's say they answer the ground creature and now it's just the flame wake phoenix. I guess well, you can we, equip... we can equip the phoenix. That's the whole point. Okay. And Inti pumps the phoenix and then gives a trample. If they kill the phoenix at any point, we still have a four power creature and we have the ability to play any other creature in our deck and pump it with the flail to, again, make it four power. And then we're playing at least the full suite of four fiery tempers. You see, I have a note here. I don't know if we want to play Alms of the Vein. Like, is this more of a combo deck than an aggro deck? Because if you have multiple creatures, you can cast as many fiery tempers or Alms of the Vein as you like. If you've got a flail in play, just pay one mana at a time and you turn your discard into a lightning bolt. Uh, or a, a one-mana drain of three of your opponent. Yeah, I, I guess I, we shouldn't get too hung up on the Flame Wake Phoenix because the madness angle of the deck is also just super interesting. So your total discard outlets, Harvester, Inti, Flail. That's 12, right? You're not playing Epicure, you're not playing Fable, you're currently not playing Copter. Um, do you feel like that's enough? I don't know i i honestly don't know okay the madness payoffs temper alms the vein i see you have the strom kirk occultist here yeah it's unfortunate there just like aren't really better madness payoffs recursion i mean i, I respect the flame Wave phoenix as an attempt i've not been impressed with it in like the hollow one decks of old but maybe that's just an like unfair comparison do you gain anything by discarding the bloodstock champion and bringing it back or not really no, I, I mean, obviously, it's a card you can discard that you can bring back. And it, again, with the Flame Wake Phoenix constantly being able to attack, you know, it can always come back to do the last couple points of damage. Again, all these crappy creatures with the flail and then integranting trample just gives you ways to steal games is kind of the thought process. Mm. Yeah, I feel like Inti is definitely like the power card in this deck. I think I think of it a little differently. I think of it as you have these possible nut draws on turn like one and two. And then if you don't have that, Inti turns the rest of your deck into like a functional aggro deck. Okay. Inti can also get like Blood Tithe Harvester up to four power. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's yeah. It just gets it to the point where the Phoenix does the job. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, does the timing work out on that? So if I discard No, not not that turn, unfortunately. Okay. First, Blood Tithe Harvester has to attack. Then Inti's trigger goes on the stack, and you can decide to discard or not. And then you can target the Harvester. By then, it's too late. The Phoenix trigger's at the beginning of combat. I mean, I guess I could... I could play Harvester on two, I could play Inti on three, crack the blood, discard the Phoenix, discard another card. So I'm discarded two cards Inti that turn, which I will not get to use. Then I get the Phoenix. No, no, I know. No, you don't. You no. need a mana. Jeez. Yeah, this Phoenix costing mana is just such a bummer. But okay. But that's why the flail equips are free. That's the point. True. True. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you outlined a line here where you're dealing 20 damage on like turn three, which is impressive. Maybe I'm not understanding how fast this can actually be. I would love to just like draw more cards. Inti, that's why I think Inti's got to be the most important card here. There's not that much velocity in the deck, but yeah, there's options now. If if we feel like we play it and there's not enough card draw, we definitely have more options we could put in. 
Copter, for example. Yeah, Copter does not work well with Flame Wake Phoenix, but you could certainly play like a one of, or you could decide that the Flame Wake Phoenix angle is bad, but then you probably shouldn't play the flail, etc., etc. Hmm. Okay, next up. Oh boy. <laughs> for a second, I saw a slaughter horn, and I thought this was a Brass's Tunnel Grinder deck for a second. Um, it is not. Okay, this is a Venerable War Singer deck. What is going on here? So, Venerable Warsinger, one, a red, and a white for a 3-3 Vigilant Trample creature. So now our man is good enough we can play turn one elf, turn two Venerable Warsinger. Okay, <laughs> that's a, that's a bold statement right yeah. there. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, we absolutely can. We've <laughs> The math has been done. Okay. Okay. <laughs> one thing this Warsinger does that's super sweet is it turns creatures with Blood Rush into incredible threats. So you attack with your trample creature, they block or don't, we discard a creature with Blood Rush, and we immediately get it back into play in addition to pumping the Warsinger. So Warsinger has an ability that says, uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, I may return target creature card with mana value X or less from my graveyard to play. So we have a bunch of cards that work really well with that. We have uh, eight Blood Rush creatures, and we have three Valdaran Thrillseekers, which, which can actually pump Venerable Warsinger to five power. You know, attack through our opponent. If they block, then we, or if they don't block, we sack uh, a Valdaran Thrillseeker with a trigger on the stack and uh, do a damage to them and then get the Thrillseeker back into play. So returns creature card mana value X or less, where X is the amount of damage that the Warsinger dealt to the player. So the Warsinger has to be the one connecting for damage here. Yes, correct. And it does not have haste. It does have vigilance. It does have trample. Yes. That's interesting. Okay, so let's say we're going to live that dream. So four Warsingers. I see you've got eight Blood Rush creatures here. Gore Clan, Rampager, and Slaughterhorn. Good old Slaughterhorn. And the three Thrill Seekers. What's Inti's role in the deck? So Inti does two things. One, if we don't draw a... A card that naturally discards. Let's just say we play turn two Warsinger. We play Inti. We attack with Warsinger and pump it. Make it a four power trample creature. We can discard Mana Elf. Get to draw with Inti or discard Phyrexian Dragon Engine. Draw with Ooh. Inti. Um, discard Thalia. Draw with Inti. So th this just pumps our Warsinger and gives us the ability to get back other creatures. Also, Inti granting... Uh, trample in a deck with Slaughterhorn just means like sometimes you're going to be able to steal games. Like you attack with a 3-3 Valdaran Thrillseeker. You pump it with Inti, then you plus three it with Slaughterhorn. So you attack for seven Trample, then you just sack your Valdaran Thrillseeker. It sacks for power at the end of combat. 14 damage. So this deck looks like it can't possibly work. And yet as you're describing these lines, like the damage adds up so fast. This is much more of like a meme deck, honestly. Like, I've just always wanted to do it. When we talked about Venerable Warsinger when it came out in Strixhaven, yeah. it was like, I think I just outlined the line to Damon, and I was just like, man, you could pitch Gore Clan Rampager to this if they don't kill it. Like, it's literally a must kill because you do seven and you get a four, a free 4-4 four, four Trampler. Like, you spend two mana to do, to win combat, do a huge amount of damage to them, and get a free 4-4 four, four into play. But, like, the mana was really bad. And, like, Indy just gives you, like, a whole ton of angles. Because you actually have four mana on turn three a lot of times. Because you're playing Mana Elf. So you can, like, Inti attack with Venerable Warsinger. 
pitch the whatever, you're actually getting like draw cards there. <laughs> like for the blood rush, uh, it's actually giving you cards with Inti in addition to possibly giving value with the, uh, with the war singer. That's fascinating. Yeah. I guess the, there's a twin shot sniper one X that has channels. So that is also technically a discard for Inti that the war singer yeah. can get back. Yes. I'm intrigued by these, these dragon engines, a card that, you know, I was probably too high on when the set came out, but I mean, turn one elf, turn two Phyrexian dragon engine. Most opponents will just laugh at you, but they, they might just die on the next turn. Like that's a double striking creature. And when you're playing Slaughter Horde and Gorklan Rampager, so you could just, you have those two, that's plus seven right there on your double strikers. So that's 18 damage next turn. Maybe they just died uh, with trample. And if they kill the, the dragon engine, well, you get it back uh, later in the game, then draw a new hand. So I'm kind of intrigued by like what that can do for the deck. You know, two copies is probably a reasonable starting place, but maybe more. Yeah, like I said, I don't like believe this deck is going to be awesome, but I like <laughs> I need to do it. I need I need to at least do it one time. Um, and the cool thing is the Slaughterhorn Gorklan Rampager aren't actually spells. You can play Thalia in your deck. That's kind of like an infect style deck. So you're disruptive to your opponents while this is happening. Okay, so do you still want Thalia or do you want to switch him to Smuggler's Copter? I think you probably need Thalia, honestly, <laughs> to be competitive. But I guess we have to see how the uh, the format shakes out. Okay, super fun deck. I mean, just if you can actually make this work, if you can get a, a 2-3 with this, I will be very impressed. Um, or even just some salty screenshots. Well, I'll, I'll get a screenshot or two for sure, yeah. Like, in theory, in theory... The format should be a lot less removal heavy because you don't have to kill Mana Elf on turn one. Mm -hmm. and, and against lesser removal, you just kill your opponent. <laughs> that seems pretty sweet. Yeah, if they kill your creatures, you can always just slam the Slaughterhorn for a sweet 3-2 <laughs> or 3, right. for three mana. Gorklan Rampager, that's a 4-4 four, four for 4, baby, with yeah. Trample. Can't, uh, can't beat it. You're also just playing Restless Stormseeker. Like, you can sometimes just steal games that way. Like, turn two Stormseeker. They miss a spell. You know, you just, like, play <laughs> Venerable Warslinger the next turn and get in there. <laughs> I would love to see this. Um, love to see this work. Glad to see Inti propping up your dreams <laughs> with Venerable Warslinger and Blood Rush. There you go. So just rounding out our discussion of Inti... The card's been seeing a fair amount of play already. If you look for 5-0s with Inti, and granted the format has changed significantly now, so don't, don't treat these as evidence of anything, but they're more just like concepts people have played and won some matches with. Who knows against what decks. Boros Aggro with all legends, right? This is a deck that you're seeing also in standard even, but the Pioneer version has been putting up pretty good results for the last few weeks. It's a bunch of four ofs of random legends. You know, we're talking about Animpical and Inti, four of each. That's fine. Uh, four Thalia, four Adeline, three Zergo Bellstriker, four Skrelv Defector Might, three Kithian Hero of Akros, two Shale Dean of Radiance. Boy, Strixhaven's really having his moments for some reason. Kellen. So this 29 creatures 
And there's not really any synergy between them as far as I can tell, right? Like a good number of them are humans, but there's no human payoff. Um, they're all legends. So that's really where the deck gets interesting. So the legend payoffs, there's four Mox Ambers, so it's a little more explosive. And then you look in the mana base and you see 23 lands of which four are Arganjo and four are Sakenzin. So I, I guess the big payoff is that in your mana base, you get this one mana, four damage to an attacker or blocker, one mana for two spirits. Um, the deck must want to do that fairly frequently, if I'm understanding correctly. Yeah, I mean, you are playing Ember Cleave, right? That's kind of how you're stealing wins. Uh, Shale is very good with an Impacall. Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of like a homeless man's aspirant. Uh, but is even better if you are playing like Adeline plus Attack. Like Shale's a card I actually played, <laughs> even though you guys were mocking me at the time. It puts a plus one, plus one on every creature that comes into play. So if you Sakenzin uh, after Shale, it, it actually is better than... Um, <laughs> it's actually better than Aspirant. Shale is interesting, that's for sure. But if that's the case, why are they only playing two Shales? Why not play more? I mean, it's a two-mana one-one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know how far you can go. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a four-mox amber deck. Um, so really they are looking at those lands as spells, basically, to your point, Dan. Um, mm, yeah. And the sideboard has two ruinous blast. Uh again, destroys non-legendary cards, super cool tech. Especially because you're playing get lost. So you just like blow up all the map tokens you give them. That's kind of cool. Yeah, two get lost as the only main deck removal spell. Yes. Yeah, you were saying that you've been pretty impressed with get lost so far. Is that still true? Yeah, like the blue whitelist playing Get Lost and the one white white enchantment that exiles all permanents cost two or less is like, like haunting. Like how good that is. <laughs> and this deck gets to play Urza's Ruinous Blast to ruin them when they do that. Like they exile all your guys, then you like Ruinous Blast away their enchantment. You get back all your sweet sweet legends. Some of them might have haste, and uh, you start getting busy again. So the deck obviously works. I'm still surprised that it's not playing like a Thalios Lieutenant, that it's instead doing the legendary thing. But I guess, you know, if it works, it works. I mean, they're also playing four Plaza of Heroes, so maybe they're like, they need everything to be legends so they can maximize like the amount of mana they can get out of that. But that doesn't actually give you anything, right? That's just a fixer. What do you mean? Plaza of Heroes protects your legends. Ugh. <sighs> Okay, three and tap, exile, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess if you built up a big Impical, that's all you need. Or build something up with Inti. I mean, it just gets hard. Like, if you have a Skrull and a Plaza of Heroes and a Legend to kill, like, mm -hmm. you start to need a lot of removal spells before you're actually able to kill their Adeline or whatever. True, true. Okay, so Legendary Typel. Um, there yeah. you go. Super, super cool design. And even their cyborg, right? Two Rydane, a card that's good against control, but is also a legend. So like still on theme. So Hazaret, good against mid-range, also a legend. One other pioneer list to look at is a blue-red scissors list that refers to in Soul Artifact. During our set review, you pointed out the card Diamond Pickaxe, a little shining diamond in the rough. Just a one-mana equipment that happens to have Indestructible. 
And you pointed out that that in itself is actually fairly interesting as a target for a soul artifact. Now, what happens when you actually assemble the deck? You might get something like this blue-red deck that a couple of people have 5 would with. I see four in soul, four diamond pickaxe, four shrapnel blast. And then you're looking for creatures that leave an artifact behind. You now have Epicure and Spyglass Siren, four copies of each. Four Goblin Tomb Raider, another new one, right? So this is, becomes a 2-2 a haste as long as you have an artifact. Fervent Champions, four copies. So this is all a ton of one-drops, just a ton of one-mana plays. And Soul is the only two-drop I've mentioned, but they're also playing three Inties, four Shrapnel Blasts. Four Torch the Tower. Um, you can trade one of your leftover blood tokens or your map token for the third damage if you need it, or just Exile of Phoenix. And then three copies of Dire Flail, which I think we also skipped. Is that correct? I think we mentioned, well, at least I remember writing a note that I was enraged that this yes. was a rare and it was just a freaking common from the original. <laughs> it's a one mana artifact. <laughs> it's Bone that, Splitter. Yeah, it's Bone Splitter with slightly, and I do mean slightly more text. <laughs> so why are they playing it? Three copies. Equips for free onto <laughs> Fervent Champion. I mean, Bone Splitter is not legal. Okay. But Eater of Virtue is legal. They're playing one copy of Eater of Virtue. Eater of Virtue is legendary or no? Legendary. Yes, it is. Yeah. So there you go. But that's a proper Bone Splitter right there. Doesn't require red. Do you think that they're ever going to use the craft ability on Dire Flail? Craft with artifact for five? I played against somebody who did just because they had the mana left. I mean, it didn't matter. Okay. It's actually kind of bad to flip it because then if you like draw a haste creature, it's this deck's often <laughs> going to struggle to like, play the creature and crew or equip it in the same turn. Hmm. Although I guess if you have the five mana, but no, I think it's just straight up bone splitter. Okay. Like they're just playing four bone splitters. Eater virtue is better, but it's legendary is, is, was my read. So what do you make of Inti in this deck? Uh, I played against this deck a couple times. Inti is very good because Again, it gives your crappy flying creatures plus one plus one tokens, and it gives your insole artifact creature trample, which is really important uh, because people get down to four or five and you're like trying to draw your um, shrapnel blast to finish them, right? So Inti does two things. It gives trample to creatures, so maybe that just kills them by itself, and then it loots away cards towards your um, shrapnel blasts or your finishing card, whatever it might be, at the same time. Okay. Because like an Ensoul Darksteel Citadel, you can chump a lot, right? Like if, if you have a bunch of crappy creatures when you're getting in there with Shieldred or whatever, not, like now you can't. Right, right. Now it's a six power trampler and the next one's a seven power trampler. And the whole time you're drawing towards another diamond pickaxe, another flail to pump your creature with trample. And all these bone splitters are a lot better with trample around. I won both matches, by the way, just so we're clear, but... <laughs> Did they ever like equip the pickaxe and start getting treasures? Yeah. And then I had to decide like, do I want to kill their fervent champion? Cause they equipped it for free, but I had to kill something else. Cause it had two power and my real could actually block uh, other creatures or I had something with three power. And so I needed to kill something that could go up to three power and the, the fervent champion could only get to two power. So I had to let them keep getting treasures and block other creatures. 
But like treasures don't matter in this deck that much. They're, they don't have anything to do with the mana. So it's not like red black where that gives them like these incredible turn four and fives. They had no cards in their hand, you know, after turn three. Yeah. Okay, so that's a bunch of concepts in Pioneer for Inti, but what's so cool about the card is that it's priced to move, right? Two mana, that's very forgiving. One red, one colorless. You could even consider it for modern, and people have been putting Inti into a surprising number of decks. Cool decks, I should say, and getting the five O's. We'll start with the Asmo Cookbook package. Now, Asmo and Cookbook, together with Urza's Saga, uh, you know you're going to have access to the cookbook once you put that in your deck, and that means you're going to be discarding. That's exactly what NT is looking for, right? So if you add NT to that mix, now every time you discard the Daredevil to the cookbook, you're not just getting a food, but you're you're getting a draw, essentially. That's pretty cool. That alone is not enough, right? We also, or maybe primarily, want to take advantage of NT's aggressive properties. The deck... Plays familiar faces like Dragon's Race Channeler, Ragavan, and now Asmo starting to look a little bit better as an attacker. And you realize that these cards don't really cost that much. Street Wraith, the card that you would play just to enable Asmo, also just becomes very attractive with Inti. It's now like two mana, draw two. Two life, draw two, not two mana. Ah, yes, even better. And then you round it out with Lightning Bolt, Galvanic Blast, Bobble, which. It's not like a super important card, but it powers up the channeler. It's another, you know, free thing that Inti can play. And the deck just suddenly starts to look pretty low to the ground, pretty compact, and pretty slick. Yeah, version of this deck kind of had a moment in the sun at some point in modern, somewhat recent history. And it's at four Galvanic Blast for a Lightning Bolt. I mean, that's the thing that takes this deck, I think, to the next level. Mm -hmm. Um I'd even consider playing at least one Shrapnel Blast just to like torch people out. I've seen uh, aspiring spike play versions of this um i do think the extra burn really matters your creature suite is not particularly aggressive um and so i, I think i'd just be trying to get the game over a little faster but i mean galvanic blast is just a crazy card when you have it turned on this is the exact kind of deck that fury suppresses right so <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, maybe this is the time you know that's <laughs> The meta is shifting. The shifting sands. You gotta be late on your feet. So, a, a sweet deck to explore. Next up, we've seen Inti being adopted in, I guess what we could describe as John Death Shadow. That's how it's classified on MTG Goldfish. But, again, the idea is we, we want to attack, right? So, Ragavan, Dracus, Rage Channeler, four copies of each. Three Inties, four Orcish Bowmasters, just a good all-purpose card. But then you start dipping into green, and suddenly you've got Tarmogoyf, which can get huge, and when it's getting trampled from Intia, that's also getting fairly interesting. On top of that, if you, if you like the idea of a giant Tarmogoyf with trample, perhaps you would like a giant Death Shadow with trample. So there's four Death Shadows here. Interestingly, they're, they're not playing the Street Wraith. I'm not totally sure why. Instead, they're just playing a good number of interactive spells. Lightning Bolt, Thought Seize, Unholy Heat, Terminate and one tear asunder. Yeah, Manix hair. And uh, of course, it's a, a Gigantalist. Yeah, it just seems like a very reasonable ad. I mean, this is pretty like standard Jun Shadow. Uh, and Inti is just a card that seems to work well with all the other cards. Helps you control Dragon Rant, uh, Dragon's Rage Channelers, you know, taking to the sky. The discard can pump the Tarmogoyf twice, right? It can discard a type that is relevant mm. to, the, to the Tarmogoyf as well as 
Mm -hmm. um, give it a plus one, plus one counter and trample. So, yeah, I guess my my instincts are just like get four indies in there and like really lean into the synergy. But maybe that's the wrong <laughs> the wrong idea. Next up, a five zero from MTGO user Doctor Pepper is great. Doctor Pepper is great. Actually, I I had that yeah, on the plane uh, last week. <laughs> I've not had that since my youth. Twenty three herbs and spices or whatever goes in there. <laughs> oh, Christmas to it. So okay, I guess this player loved seeing all the Animpical decks running around in Pioneer and wanted to get in on the fun in Modern. Legendary Boros Aggro. Although it turns out when you do that, uh, Animpical did not make the cut, unfortunately. Instead, what you end up with is a slightly different collection of legendary creatures in red and white and four other vials. So new additions would be Ragavans, um, I see it Isamaru, one of three Karis of Skyship Raider, four Mary Esquire of Rohan, two Boromir Warden of the Tower, and of course, two Furies. This deck was clearly overpowered and had to be reined in a little bit. What is Flowering of the White Tree? I don't know what Flowering of the White Tree or Mary or Boromir do. So I think Flowering uh, of the White Tree is like a, a, a crusade for legends. Oh, yeah, that's the important card. Sorry, that was hidden down at the bottom there. Four copies of the most important card, Flowering of the White Tree. Legendary enchantment. Legendary creatures you control get plus two, plus one, and have ward one. And it costs white, white. Oh, man, that's insane. <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> it is very good. Yeah. No Mox Ambers here. That's pretty wild. Yeah, I guess the Vial just fills that role, maybe. I guess. Yeah, you get a lot of cool lands, too. Iganjo Castle, Shinka, the Blood-Soaked Heap, four Sunbay Canyon. Like, the, the value out of their lands is insane. Four Plaza of Heroes with, even better, with Vile, right, to save your mana up. I mean, they could have gone harder. They could have played more Sekenzin, more Iganjo Seat of the Empire. Well, they didn't. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I mean, maybe they need enough white sources to play the flowering tree on turn two. Because mm. Plaza of Heroes doesn't tap for it either, does it? Mary Esquire of Rohan, red white, legendary halfling knight, 2 2 haste, first strike as long as it's equipped. That's not going to happen. Whenever you attack with Mary and another legendary creature, draw a card. Oh, yeah, okay. So this deck is our favorite, an aggro deck that has a bunch of draw effects built in. Not only is exactly. your point dead, you have four cards in your hand. <laughs> Another deck being suppressed, brutally suppressed by Fury. It's time for the Boros Legends aggro deck. Yeah, well they lose out on Fury too, so they'll have to play two more <laughs> Legends. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then finally I see a 5-0 from the Brewer, Mr. Seri. Looks like the Liked the idea of Galvanic Blast uh, and Lightning Bolt, but they were not as keen on doing Underworld Cookbook and Asmo. So instead, uh, they're using those slots on Epicures and Shrapnel Blasts and Synthesizers. The Dragon's Rage Chandler and Ragavan are the same. The Street Wraith is still there, I guess just because it's good with Inti uh, and good with Chandler, which is kind of interesting. It's almost like a leftover from the Asmo version. And then you have this seven blasts four galvanic blast three shrapnel blast four lightning bolts three synthesizer two fable four bubble and a light earth of sagas package with a shadow spear and a drum yeah i mean this list looks better to me i don't really care for the food package in general um it just seems a lot cleaner 
just get him dead. I just like synthesizer too. Like synthesizer with shrapnel blast is cool. Uh, that's the only card that really pays you off for the synth. So I'm a little bit surprised that there's enough density like to make that happen, but we love synth. Anyway, so that's a brief selection of what Inti's been doing in Modern. I mean, I've seen people trying other stuff. I think on day one, Spike was playing Venge Vines and Hollow Ones, and that didn't look too good. But the potential is there, especially now that two toughness creatures are back on the menu. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the lessons from all these decks is that they are trying to turn sideways. That's the only way that you can get the Inti trigger to happen. You don't want to be putting puttering around too much with like Fable-like effects. Um, I think the most we've seen is like two fables, even though it's a card that's like natively powerful. It has discard. You can just see it's like too slow for the kind of game that Inti wants you to play. Yeah. I haven't seen many people going back to the hollow one. Well, but that's, I guess I'm not super surprised by that because if that's what you think Inti is good for, we already had that card. We already had containment construct. We already had, um, conspiracy theorist. Yeah, Anti's not that much better than that. So no. that, that wasn't what was holding back the Hollow One Venge 5 deck. Anyway, lots more to explore with Inti. Uh any final thoughts, David? Um, yeah, I mean brand new format, so we kind of have to start at ground zero. It'll be really interesting I to see what uh, decks people are brewing up for the uh, RC. Hopefully, like Dan says, they will be light on their feet. Um <laughs> I would have a lot of graveyard hate or some way to fight off Phoenix is my <laughs> strong recommendation in, in Pioneer. Okay. Yeah, the battle is taking to the skies. Copters against bird lawyers against Phoenixes, Phoenix Eye. Yeah, the copter the copter lines up very, very poorly against Phoenix, so <laughs> that's going to be pretty tough. Yes. Um, Got to give it an extra toughness somehow. Make it a 4-4. Four, four. Inti is there for your, <laughs> for your needs. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, we're just scratching the surface of these cards. Um, excited to see how they turn out in testing, and we will let you know how that went next time. All right. Until then, take care, sir. All right. Take care.